so we're going to resolve that, right? Because <laughs> if not, I'm going I'm to be annoyed for the rest of the service. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, it is good to see you here this morning, and I'm glad you could make it out with us. Um, starting a new series today called God at Work, you might notice. Uh, we actually did a similar series 10 years ago, exactly almost, and uh, we still have these, which, uh, which is awesome. So uh, I thank Josh and Audrey Preston, who were members here at the time, and they made these for us, spent a lot of time. So we're blessed by that work still today to have these, uh, these props here with us. So uh, God at work, and today we're going to talk about uh, work zone ahead. And I want to talk to you this morning about kind of, kind of two lanes of traffic here that are, that are running together. And that is the lane of traffic that is Christ Community Church, but then also the lane of traffic that is your life and how those two uh, may run parallel and at times may intersect. And especially if you count yourself a part of Christ Community Church, how those work together. Now, over the last many months, we've talked uh, many times about the struggles that we faced in the last uh, 12 months or so. And uh, the last few Sundays, uh, our attendance here has been uh, really great, and we see some positive things happen. We have new folks with us here today who have joined us just in the last few months. And praise God for that. And uh, there are things happening. And so I don't have any interest in retreading stuff we've already talked about. I want to talk about where we're going, and I want to talk with you about where you're going, because I think there are some principles in Scripture that we can hold to that will help us both corporately and individually. And uh, so uh, I want to take you just through some Scripture this morning, talk about the mission of the church, and when I say the church, I mean the church. In an ideal world, every church who claims the name of Christ would be about this business, and it's important business, and it's business our world could use today, that our world could benefit from today. And so we go back to the core mission that was given to the early church as recorded in the book of Matthew from the lips of Jesus himself. And listen, friends, I have heard countless messages based on this passage. And some of them bring warm feelings to me, and some of them bring less than warm feelings to me. Because it's passages like this one that can be an encouragement to us as we try to try to engage with God and discern kind of His course and path for our lives or even just for this moment. But it can also be used as a bit of a bat to beat people about what they are or aren't doing or that there's more expectation for them. Um, you know uh, quite well, I hope by now, if you've been with us and if you're friends with me, that we don't, we don't deploy bats here from Scripture. We talk about the life that is underneath of all of these things, and I want them to be an encouragement with you. And so that's the, the hope today, is that this will encourage you and will spark something about the course and future of our life together as Christ Community Church, as well as give you an opportunity to just look at the landscape of your own life, your own world, the, the universe that's right around you, and consider what is God hoping for you to do and be and move. I mentioned last week that passage from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, where, where 
the writer tells us that God designed good things for you and I to do even before we were born. There's, there's good works in mind for us. And those good works are, are not always, uh, in fact, maybe more frequently than not, they're not religious in nature necessarily. They could be related to things like charity, kindness towards one another. More often than not, I think that those good works that he planned for us, even before, not just before we were born, but the passage says before the foundation of the world, those things that he planned for us are really just being the expression of the love of Christ in our community to the people around us. Living in such a way that, that they just, it's, it's, like, it's like the love that Christ has poured out on us that we're so grateful for just just like wipes off on the people around us. They, they're, they're infected by it. They sense the presence of it. There's something different in that arena when you show up with the love of Christ. And, and I know many of you in here, I experienced that from you. So, Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. For many of you, these will be extremely familiar, and we have certainly mentioned it here. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now we understand why there's only eleven, right? Judas is out. He's betrayed Christ, and then in the, the aftermath of that remorse, found himself unable to go on. When they saw him, these eleven, they went to the mountain. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I think that's really important to, to acknowledge right there. Because sometimes, as we're traveling through our lives, whether it's, again, as individuals or as a church, we're, we're cruising down the road, we're trying to, to kind of suss out the next steps. Where are we going? What are we doing? And it's not entirely clear, or circumstances fall in the way that, that are distracting or even derailing, and we go, I don't understand what's going on here. Back to, are you, are you even paying attention? Are you listening? Are you there? And here we have the 11 remaining disciples who spent time with Jesus for three years, saw all of the miracles that he performed, heard all of the teaching from his mouth, witnessed his punishment, his crucifixion, and then have already spent time with him after his resurrection. Now, now put that in there. They watched him die. They watched him get put in a tomb for three days. And then they had lunch with him on the beach with fish and bread, and he taught them and spoke to them. And they come here to this place where Jesus had said, hey, meet me over at this place later. I've got some other things I've got to do. And he went and he appeared to some other people and spoke to some other people. And they meet him. And still, some of them doubted. If you find yourself occasionally scratching your head about God's presence in your life, and where things are going, you're in good company. We have this long lens of 2020 of reading the Bible and having these beautiful stories and pictures and, and imagery and, and some, some background to what these people could only see in the moment. But what we don't have is we don't have the physical presence, the face of Jesus standing before us, sitting across from us at the lunch counter, having conversations with us in that way. And so, 
Paul says this at one point. He says, blessed are those who see and believe, but blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. I think it's Paul. But that's the context of that is we think that it would be so much easier to believe if, if Jesus were physically manifested right here in front of us. And maybe for some of us it would be. And yet the reality of the story is that even those who did see him and touch him and hug him and see his wounds and see him alive after he resurrected still struggled with what does all of this mean? They didn't doubt that he was alive. They wondered, is this, is this really happening? Is this real life? And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And here's this thing we call the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This has become the touchstone verse for Protestant Christianity, I mean, really since kind of the beginning, even back to the early councils talking about the mission of the church, the purpose of the church. And you can sum it up in a smaller phrase, just saying the mission of the church, which therefore becomes the mission of our lives, is to share the good news of Jesus. What is the good news of Jesus? The good news of Jesus is that he brings with him mercy and forgiveness and compassion and love to all who will believe. Anyone. Anyone. And for those who maybe don't hear and those who don't believe, he is still righteous to his core so that they will be treated only in a way that's righteous or just. There's no malice, there's no evil, there's no subtext to him. The Bible says it is his desire that all should come to know him. And where is the kingdom of God? Is it the place where what God wants done is done? And so I can only believe that God, God will have his desires, he's righteous, he's just, he will, he will work out everything that he needs to work out but as we come to him and we believe, we have a mission. And that mission is to share that good news then with those who are around us. That good news is that, hey, our brokenness causes us to be separated from God. And he wants to make that connection with us. And he offers that connection through Jesus Christ. He offers us forgiveness. He offers us restoration. He offers us purpose. He offers us, offers us life that has meaning. And that's the good news that we go to share. Now, we've talked here in the last few weeks about this, that uh, in my growing up, the emphasis, all of the emphasis here was placed on the word go. And so right now we're, we're receiving offerings towards our Easter offering, international missions. Those funds will go right into the hands of missionaries all over the world in places that we can't even imagine, uh, places that are open to missionaries and even places that are very hostile to that. There are people out there working in places who we can't even know their names, but they're out there uh, doing good things like, you know, digging wells and building houses and teaching children and doing all these kinds of things, and we can help 
be part of that. That's the go part. Or even us, perhaps someone becoming a missionary and going. But the emphasis in the Greek here is make disciples. It's to make disciples. And what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who follows after someone else and does what they do. So to become a disciple of Jesus Christ is to follow after him and do the things that he did. And what did he do? He sought healing for people. He extended forgiveness to people. He instructed people about the right way to live and how to treat your neighbor, how to treat one another, how to honor God, how to honor yourself. We make disciples. Why do we make disciples? Because disciples also share the gospel. And as we share the gospel and make disciples, they share the gospel and make disciples. And that has to be the mission of the church. It's for us to share the good news for the purpose of people becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. Not disciples of Christ Community Church. Not disciples of me as a pastor. I don't need any disciples. I don't need any hanger-ons. I don't need any acolytes. I'm going to point you to Christ. I'm going to point you to God. And that has to be our mission. And it is both the mission of the church and it should be the mission of the believer. I'm reminded of... uh, Penn Gillette, the big tall guy in Penn and Teller, the the magic troupe, who several years ago posted a video where he talked about after one of their shows in Vegas, a gentleman came to him and asked him if he could give him a Bible. Now, Penn Gillette is atheist to the core, super brilliant mind, so funny, uh, engaging. I I love him. I would love to see their show. I'd love to meet him. I'd love to sit down and and have a a meal with him and and just have that conversation, any kind of conversation, because I just think he's a brilliant man. And he, uh, Gillette said, sure. The guy had stayed through the whole show. He had been one of their people that was in a card trick, and they'd given him a a prop to take home. And then he came and said, you know, I appreciate that. I'm going to give you this this Bible, if you don't mind. And he said, sure, I'll take it. And uh, and he took it. And, you know, he said, you know, I don't believe any of this. And the guy said, yeah, yeah, I get it. I just feel like I want to give it to you. So after he gets back to his hotel room, he starts looking at it, he opens it up, and the guy has written a letter inside, and, and Pendulette says, I don't believe any of this, but this guy's words were so kind. And I could tell that his concern for me as a, as a person, his concern for me as for my eternity as a, a Christian would be, was just so sincere. There, was, there wasn't any judgment in it. There wasn't any recrimination. It was, it was a genuine, you know, I've, I've been a fan and I've grown to also love you as a person and I feel like I want to tell you about this. And this is kind of remarkable as he's telling this. He's sitting in his hotel room just kind of recording on his phone. And he says, he says here's the question I have to ask. He says, I don't believe any of this, but if you do, he said, this is the first time this has ever happened in the career, in my, the history of my career that someone's done something like this after a show. He said, the Christians avoid me because they know I'm an atheist. He said, but if you believe this, if you believe that this is truly good news and that I need it, he says, how much do you have to hate people to not tell them? How much do you have to dislike or ignore or dismiss people around you to not tell them if this is supposedly so important? when I saw that, I thought, wow. 
here's a guy who, who has clearly defined where he stands on these things. And yet he can identify the value of us as believers being true to what we say we believe. And if we believe the gospel is really good news, we ought to be telling people about the good news. We cannot keep it to ourselves. Philippians chapter 1 says this. It's in verses 3 through 7. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel, the good news. That's what gospel means, by the way, is good news. From the first day until now. And here's the part I want you to grab. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, because he's in jail right now, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And I hope that you will find some encouragement in that. We should be sharing the gospel as these people have been. He acknowledges that, that we're together in the sharing of the gospel but also that there's a faithfulness of God to it in us as we do that, as we pursue those good works, as we share the good news, as we live as believers who are upright and righteous and kind and merciful and forgiving in the world around us that is often just none of those things. That God is faithful, that this work that he began in you, which was at the moment of your belief, that he is faithful to complete that. He's, he is still working, friends. He still has a plan for you. He still has a way for you to go. I'm reminded of Jason's example about uh, sometimes, uh, again, in my growing up, it was like the goal was to get saved, get saved, walk the aisle, pray a prayer, fill out a card, get baptized. Awesome. All fine things. But the emphasis was so much on that event that it appeared to me there wasn't a whole lot of emphasis on them becoming a person who was really like Christ. It was more of a, of a parachute to get out of a falling plane. It was more of a, a, an asbestos life preserver to drag you out of the flames of hell. And it was, a, it was a rescue plan, but it wasn't a change plan. It wasn't a transformation plan. And Jason uses the example of it's like going to, to Universal Studios there in Hollywood and buying a ticket and walking in the door, going through the turnstiles, Deb, you just went to some theme park. It's like walking in to the, to the park, you got your ticket, and you go, I'm here. And then you don't do anything else. You don't get on a ride, you don't go to a show, you don't get a Dole Whip uh, pineapple thing, or some butter beer at uh, Harry Potter World, or which, by the way, isn't real beer. Just so you know, it's like butterscotch. And, I don't know, it's weird. Um... But you don't do any of those things. You bought the ticket, you got in. But did you actually go to Universal Studios? Did you actually go to Disney? You can say you've been there, but did you experience it? Did you engage with what it was about? And if we're not careful, we can turn this go thing into, into that's all we're doing, is we're convincing people to buy a ticket to get in the gate, and then nothing happens after that. But 
our good works should be inspiring others to become as Christ is as we are pursuing to become as Christ is. That's discipleship. It's not hard to get off track. It can be pretty simple, pretty easy. Uh, we've all heard the example of, you know, the archer who draws back his bow and is shooting for that, that bullseye, but if he's off by just a little bit back here, by the time the arrow gets there, it's way over here, right? That, 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 that angle increases the farther we go. Um, I like to call this story the accidental trip to almost San Francisco. Yeah, Karen remembers this. This is on our honeymoon. <laughs> I, uh, listen, uh, we didn't have any money growing up. We never went to Disneyland. Never been to California, right? You've never been to California. Uh, that's my sister over there, by the way, in case you're wondering why I'm talking to this woman over here and my wife is sitting back there. Um, that's my sister. And so I had no experience traveling. Uh, I had been on an airplane one time in my life to Kotzebue as a teenager on a mission trip. That was it. Uh, we got married and we decided to go to Disney for our vacation. Disneyland, by the way, is superior to Disney World. Don't fight me on this. I will. Don't fight me on this. We were going to Disneyland. We got there. We landed, rented our car, which is a whole experience when you're 21 years old. Uh, and your credit cards are already maxed out. Anyway, that's another story. We get in the car, we get on the highway, and Karen's like, all right, let's Anaheim. How many of you have been to like LAX and gone to Anaheim? It's not a long drive, right? Hour? Four and a half hours later, Karen wakes up in the car. She's like, it's dark. She's like, where are we? It's like, I don't know. I'm driving to Disneyland. Pull over. So we went to a little gas station there. And, and we were somewhere near San Jose, um, almost to San Francisco, because I didn't know where Anaheim was. I didn't know where I was supposed to be going. I didn't know what direction it was. Now listen, young kids, in the days before GPS, there was no phone, there was no, my Google map talks to me in an Irish accent now, none of that business. Was it, you old folks remember this, you would go on the trip, the first thing you do when you got off the plane was do what? Buy a map, go to a gas station, or at the rental car place, although the rental car maps usually weren't great, right, they were just big general maps, Rand McNally giant fold-out mat that you could never fold back the same way as it was when you got it off the rack, but it had every little detail in there. And Karen was the navigator. Well, after this, she was the navigator. <laughs> because I didn't know where I was going. And that's the thing about then being on mission. That's the thing about sharing the gospel. That's the thing about completing these good works and God coming alongside you to complete them, is you do have to know where you're going. That doesn't mean you won't sometimes get off track. It doesn't mean sometimes you won't, you know, biff it up and have to get refocused and get back on track. But you've got to have an idea where you're going. And so I want to share with you three things. How do we join God at work? 
where is he going? Why don't we sometimes experience God in the mission? All right, so those three things. Here we go, real fast. How do we join God at work? Psalm chapter 32, verses 8 and 9. Psalm chapter 32, verses 8 and 9. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. So how do we know, how do we join God at work? We listen for his instruction. His instruction can come to us through the Bible. It can come through what we call, Nancy and I just talked about this via text the other day, something we call common grace, which is that, that sometimes as Christians we have this idea that we just have, we have all the truth and no one else has any. But there's this thing called common grace. And listen, friends, this isn't heresy. Again, this goes all the way back to the beginning. We understand this about how God works. Uh, if we could go to other world religions, we will find truths in there that are true, right? They're not necessarily... They pattern what's in the Bible. We see the same truths. So truth that is true is what? Truth. It doesn't matter what the source is. It's just truth. And so our instruction that God gives us can come from the Bible, his revealed word to us. It can come from other locations, other cultures, other people, other thinkers, other minds, because there is common grace that God has given to humanity because his desire is to plant that truth in humanity and draw all of them to himself. He's not trying to hide from everyone. He's actively been trying to pursue everyone. But he is a God who allows us to choose whether we want to draw near to him or not. He's not going to force us into that relationship. All right, so how does he instruct us? Through the Bible, through common grace, through truth, through others who are following after Christ and have wisdom and can give feedback into our own lives. Be cautious with that. Uh, find people who are trustworthy, people who are, are true, and people who are, are genuine, right? Um, and in doing so, he can instruct us, and if we will listen to him, uh, I should not pass this one by because we talked about it here in the last few weeks, the presence of God's Spirit within you instructs you. The Bible says that as we read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is teaching us how to understand it. God is with you. So, how can we know where God is going? All I can tell you is do everything you can to get your eyes opened in the presence of God as much as possible. Do it through worship. Do it through teaching. Do it through your own prayer, your own meditation, uh, your engagement with creation, the beauty that is around us. God reveals himself in his creation. Engagement with other people who are lovely, wonderful, awesome people. God reveals himself in his creation, you, and begin to listen for where God is at work and then join him. Where is he going? What is he doing? John 16, chapter 13 gives us an idea. When the spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. Who's the spirit of truth? Anybody? Right, Holy Spirit, right? That presence of God with you. But whatever he hears from who? From the Father, right? Whatever he hears, he will speak, 
and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And you're thinking maybe, this all sounds very esoteric and philosophical. It is, friends. This is supernatural. This is the part of our being that is not flesh and bone. Flesh and bone betrays us, friends. My flesh and bones betray me every day. I slipped and flopped last night because, man, my hips hurt. But my spirit can be fresh and renewed every morning with the mercies of the Lord because His Spirit is with me. Now, how do we know it's the Spirit of God talking to us? Prayer, counsel, um, wisdom, compare it against. God won't go against His own self-interest. God will not tell you to do something evil. If, if you think you're doing something and God told you that and it's evil, God didn't tell you to do that. It's a simple text. His word gives us so much instruction about that. The truth is that God can do anything he pleases through a person, just an ordinary person like you and me, who is fully dedicated to him. Where is he going? What is he doing? I don't know. You have to answer that for your life. But you only answer that by listening to his instruction and the Spirit of God with you. You can get insights from counsel and wisdom from others, but you have to do that work. And the church has to do that same work. That's why Jason and I spend a lot of time talking together, praying together, seeking counsel from others, uh, reading, reading the scriptures, trying to, to, to figure out exactly where the next step is for us to take. And so those things usually start to show up like in our newsletter as, hey, here's stuff that's coming up. Here's things we're doing. Here's series that we're going to present to you because we believe this is where God is working. So join God at work, figure out what he's doing and where he's going. And then why don't sometimes we we just have that experience? Why is that elusive to us sometimes? So final passage of scripture, Psalm 16, verses 7 and 8. Bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Right? Isn't that what we just said? In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. Why do we sometimes not experience that? Because we are not setting the Lord always before me. I'm as guilty of this as anyone else. I allow other things to get in my view, to become paramount, to become primary. It's our human condition. We should seek to be less like that as much as possible. And it's a growing growing process. It's a maturing process. It's a journey, not a destination. Sometimes we'll be better at it today than we will be tomorrow. But if we always remember to set that as our goal, we can return to just trying to have the Lord always before us. I love the, the verse right before that says, even at night. Can you go back to that one, Jason? Verse 7. Bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart also. So he, he means when I'm asleep, even. If I have the Lord set before me, even when I'm sleeping, I'm somehow in communion with the Spirit of God. And he's instructed. 
I don't think that was happening for me last night. I had some weird thing about my guitar cutters because I just was trying to re redo my board. Chris has one over here, and I was redoing my board at home last night. And I had some terrible dream about guitar cutters that were, like, trying to kill me or something. It was weird. And I don't think that was – I apparently I had guitar pedals in front of me instead of the counsel of God. Right? But how many people have grown up attending church and hearing about God all their lives but still don't experience a personal, dynamic, growing relationship with God? I think a lot. And it relates back to that idea of, of buying the ticket and getting in the door but not experiencing the life. How do we experience the life? Spend time in the Word. Put the Lord before you. And listen to the Spirit of God speaking to you. Embrace those things. Get godly counsel and wisdom from those around you. Because God, you could come to me for counsel. It doesn't mean I have all the answers. But, we're, but we can talk about it within the context of the Spirit of God. And maybe we'll find some truth. Anything of spiritual significance that happens in your life will be a result of God's activity in you. He is infinitely more concerned with your life and your relationship with Him than you are. Think about that. Before I knit you together in your mother's womb, I knew you. God at work to form you, build you to make you just as you are. Jesus said that uh, not a single sparrow falls from the sky that God does not know, and yet how much more does he love you than the sparrow in the field? Now, as we move forward as a church and we set some challenges out and goals, some of them might look crazy, some of them might, might look too big. Maybe you experience the same thing in your own life. It might be that you're, you have a role to play in the mission of the church and you go, that looks crazy, that looks too big. But it might be something in your own personal life. So you're, you're trying to join God at work. You're trying to figure out where he's going, what he's doing. We're trying to do that as a church. We're struggling with why sometimes we don't experience what would seem like his presence in the things that we do. And, and it, it always comes back to, are we, are we communing with him and, and listening to him? But absolutely reject the idea that God will not call you personally in your own life, maybe in the life of the church. Reject the idea for the church that God will not call us to something that we're not equipped to do. Jason and I have had this phrase that we've said many times to each other over the years, that the church is equipped right now to do the work that God wants to do. I don't know if that's really true. I'm questioning that, Jay. Because I start thinking about people like uh, Abraham and Sarah, who God said, Abraham, I'm going to build the greatest nation out of you that's ever. Your descendants will number more than the, the, the grains of sand on the beach. And Abraham and Sarah are old, way past childbearing. He said to Noah, a guy who's, who's just hanging out, you're going to build this giant boat to put all these animals in, and something's going to happen that you haven't seen before. It's going to rain. And not only is it going to rain, it's going to rain so much, everything's going to flood, and that boat's going to float, and you're going to live in there for a long time with the animals, and I'm going to take care of you. 
Was Noah equipped to do that job the day that God called him to do that? I don't think so. Samuel becomes the, the priest of the nation of Israel. God calls him when he's a little boy. He's laying in his bed. God calls out Samuel. Was he ready? Was he equipped then? I don't think so. And then we think about David, this great king who had terrible flaws of the nation of Israel. He's just a punky little, like, 16, 17-year-old kid out herding the, the sheep that nobody even pays any attention to. His brothers think he's the worst thing uh, ever. And when they bring in all the sons of Jesse to be, to be surveyed as to who's going to be the king, all these big, strapping, handsome, you know, Gaston-type characters come in, and everybody goes, oh, he looks like a king. And God says, it's none of those guys. It's the little punk out there hanging out with the sheep. That's the guy who's going to be the greatest king that kings is after now. Was David equipped in that moment to do what God was calling him to do? Absolutely not. I think uh, I ran across this quote. I think it's appropriate for, for Black History Month. Martin Luther King said this, What do we do then? How do we move forward? What do we do now? Individually, what do we do as a church? Martin Luther King said this, Use me, God. Show me how to take who I am, who I want to be, and what I can do, and use it for a purpose greater than myself. I think that's, that's a great description of the heartbeat of the disciple. is to say, show me, God. Show me how to take who you've created me to be, everything that I am, everything that you're making me to be, all the ways in which you're transforming me. And Lord, I can only see this far, but you show me. You show me how I can be and do much greater than I could possibly think of on my own. A greater purpose in this life and in this world as an individual as a church, that's what I'm praying for. That God will reveal that to us. That God will reveal that to you. I hope you're encouraged by that this morning. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We're going to sing one final song. I want to tell you about two things that are coming up, and one of these falls into this category. I have booked um, an auditorium on December 7th, I think it is, might be December 6th, to host Chosen Road uh, Bluegrass Band, who just broke into the Billboard Top 100 uh, here this last year twice, by the way. Uh, they were right between Dolly Parton and Alison Krauss. If you don't know who those people are, go look them up. But they're on a rocket ship to the moon, and uh, been trying to get them here for a couple of years. They were with us one time, but they do an incredible Christmas show, community Christmas show. And I asked them if they would come to Alaska and do a community Christmas show here for the people of Anchorage. So we're booked at the Wendy Williamson Auditorium. They said they're coming. Total, this is going to cost somewhere around $20,000 to make happen. <laughs> we will give opportunities for Christ Community Church to be part of that. We're, look, we're seeking other partners right now. And then God will bring some other things to bear because our, our vision is that we host this concert here, we open it to the public. We're not going to sell tickets. We'll just invite people to come. We think the entrance fee might be bring some food for the food bank or bring some clothes for the 
coat closet or something like that. That'll be your entrance ticket, and they will do a great Christmas show, and they will share the gospel while they do it. And it'll be a great time. And so that's a big thing. Are we equipped to do that? We are not. Praise God. Because, friends, the best times I've had in my whole life in ministry have been when I looked at things and said, well, that's impossible. Let's try that. And then God shows up like, wow. I can tell you all the story of this, but we're here too long. But this is all part of that. So uh, pray about that and how you can be part of that.